Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you are listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. And this week's sermon, Pastor Stephen is looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, and the title is The Glorious Plan of God. So thank you for listening. If you have a Bible today, please open that Bible up, Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 28, 29, and 30 of Romans chapter 8, 33 weeks that we've been studying the book of Romans. And uh, today we're continuing on this series that I've entitled um, A Life Transformation. That the writer of this book, Paul, has been saying over and over again that the life of those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ ought to be different than the life of those who do not know Christ. That there is an amazing change that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of those who are a part of the saved, as we say. And so today we're going to talk about the glorious plan of God. The glorious plan of God. It builds off of where we were last week. So we'll go back to verse 28. But it all is a part together to kind of give us this idea of what God is doing and what he desires to do in our lives. You know, every day we have a choice whether we are going to get in on God's plan or whether we are going to try to do our own. And so today, again, we will discover what is God's plan for my life. And we'll see it in these three verses. So look there, if you have a Bible, Romans 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So last week, we talked about God's guarantee. It's the same as his promise, and that's the first part of what we're going to look at today when we look at this plan of God. What is God's promise? He tells us there in verse 28. He says, I promise you in all things I will work good for those who love me. That there are some parameters there, right? And so the question that we asked last week is, do you have a deep, passionate love for God? And so I want to ask you again this morning, do you know God and do you love God? And so that is the parameter on one side. And then he says, secondly, I called according to his purpose. So, do I love God? Do I know God? It's a personal relationship, right? We talk about that all the time around here. And yet we will say, or we will ask the question, do you know God? Do you love God? And people will respond with such impersonal terms. They'll say, well, I'm a Baptist. Okay, that's not really what I was asking. Or I go to church. Or I give an offering. Or I feed the hungry. Please hear me, worthwhile things. I think you should, you should do those things, but not instead of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know God? Do you love God? The promise that is guaranteed there. But then, then we see his purpose. He says you have to be called according to his purpose. And in verse 29, we see God's purpose. There are two words in verse 29 that many people get tripped up on. The words foreknew and the word predestined. Now, I had somebody not too long ago when we started Romans, they said, hey, when you get over to Romans 8, verse 29 and 30, you'll probably skip over that, won't you? Well, I don't think you know me very well. (laughs) No, absolutely not. We're not going to skip over that because it is God's word and God gets great glory there. 
I think any time, though, we allow some thought process, some uh, belief system, or even we pull Scripture out of context, we are creating a very dangerous environment and situation for our own selves. That we can take attributes that belong to God, and if we exalt them above his plan of salvation and the gospel, then it itself can become dangerous. I'll give you an example. God is love. Is he love? Man, absolutely. He's love. Let's try that one again. Is God love? Yeah, thank you. All right. Didn't know who I was preaching to today. God is love. God is love. We would submit, you can't even know. Love apart from God. God is even the one who is so loving, he gives us the ability to give and receive love. But if my focus is only on the fact that God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love, and I forget the fact that God is just, do do, do you see how this goes? And so understand, we want to see what Scripture says how it all ties together. We're going to look at it through the lens of Jesus. So, we're going to deal with these two words, foreknew and predestined, as a part of God's purpose. Now, you may be in here and you're like, well, I'm one way when it comes to this, I'm another way when it comes to this, or you might be in here and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank Jesus for that. (laughs) Don't leave before it's over. Because you know how I preach, you're probably going to get mad, and then you'll get glad, and then you'll get mad, and then who knows how it goes. Just stick in here, okay? First of all, God chooses us. God chooses us. That's what the word foreknew means. That he chose us to be a part of his family, That before God ever created planet earth, he knew you and he chose you to be a part of his family. That is the truth of the word of God. Some of you have just had your minds blown. The Bible says this over and over. Matter of fact, I'll give you another passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Again, Paul writing. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, For he that is God chose us in him, the him there is Jesus, okay? Chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and with his will. So before the planets were ever even littered throughout the universe, God said, I knew you and I chose you to be a part of my family. And here's where people get tripped up. They take that and they interpret that to mean that God has created some to go to heaven and God has created some to go to hell. That God chooses some people to be saved and God chooses other people to be lost. Yet the Bible never says that. I'm here to tell you, based upon the authority of God's word, God's will is for everyone to be saved. That's his desire. Now, let's walk back last week. Do you remember last week we said that not everything that happens is the will of God? Because if you sit there and you say everything that happens is the will of God, then all of a sudden you sit there and say, God is the author of evil. Maybe some of you are so far gone that you believe that he's the author of evil. You don't believe me that not everything that happens is God's will? All you got to do is listen to the news. But let's take it a step further. Let's look at what God's word says. Because again, we know scripture never contradicts itself. That if we're not careful, we, we will try to gravitate and cherry pick scripture to get it to say whatever we want to say. And usually it's in a situation that we are wanting to exalt ourselves. We're wanting others to think that we're something that we're not, that we are much more intellectual than we truly are. But I've got to take every bit of scripture and I've got to put it in the puzzle together. Okay? 2 Peter 3, 9. God is patient with us. Can I get a witness this morning? Goodness. I like that old KJV word, long-suffering. Because that's how God is with me. 
no matter where we fall on what we're talking about today, I think we would all agree, thank God he is patient. Not willing that any person should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. We've already sang about it today, and we sang straight up scripture. For God so loved the world. The world, red, yellow, black, and white. God so loved the world. He loved everyone. What? That he gave his son that whosoever, whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God wants everyone to be saved, but here's what. God knows everyone's not going to be saved. God is so all-knowing, God knows who will and will not be saved. That before the beginning of time, he foreknew, he knew who would receive the gospel and who would reject the gospel. He gives you a choice in the matter. Again, some folks think with every single thing that happens in life is planned by God, it is predestined by God, that it is just a part of the very plan of God. And some folks carry that over into their soteriology, which is the, the study of salvation, that they, they sometimes are labeled as hyper-Calvinist. And a hyper-Calvinist, they're so polluted, their view of who the gospel is available for, that sometimes they will have a belief that goes something like this. You're number six, you're in a fix. You're number seven, come on into heaven, right? You're number eight, I'm afraid it's a little too late. You're number nine, don't worry about it, you'll be just fine. Four new. Four new. In its essence, according to Scripture, totality of Scripture, foreknew means God so loved the world that he gave his son that if you'll surrender and believe in him, you will have eternal life, but not everyone will because not everyone will surrender. And God knows who will and who will not. Here's the second part. Of God's purpose. He changes us. Here's what that means. It's the word predestined. And folks get tripped up on the word predestined. And I know some of you are looking at each other right now. And you're kind of cutting your eyes. And, and you know I don't agree with what he says. And, 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 and we don't lock the doors. But please hang on. Predestined means this. He has determined before the beginning of time that he is changing us. Those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. People get hung up all the time on this idea of predestination. It just means this. God is predestined what his children are going to become. Verse 29, he is predestined that you and I should be conformed to the very likeness of his Son. That when we came to Christ, when we responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden God starts this process and God keeps working on us. He's not finished with us yet. Listen to what the Bible says about this. This is in Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Some people just don't understand what the word predestined means. They think that that word means, okay, God has predestined some for heaven and some for hell. That's not what this is even saying. It is saying that those who receive Jesus, he has already set in motion his plan. What is his plan? Make you more like Jesus. My family and I love to go to Cape Sandblast. We, we, we love to go over to the Forgotten Coast. And every opportunity we get, we try to go over there and spend a little bit of time. That was before I had two girls going to private Christian colleges. And now we have no money. We love to go over there, and I think Jennifer loves going over there because the cell phones don't work very much over there, and you better bring your groceries with you unless you're going to the trading post. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's no big chain restaurants, and it, it's just a neat place. We love going over there. Some of the, some of the you know, most fun memories that we have as a family have happened 
right over there. Uh, a while back, we were getting ready to go, and I, I was in a meeting with a, a bunch of pastors, and we were, we were discussing this very passage of Scripture. And you ever find yourself in a meeting, and you're listening to what's being said, but then your mind is thinking about something else? And I was sitting there thinking, you know what, man, there's a couple of things that I've got to get done before we can go to Cape Sandblast. I've got to make sure these things are taken care of before we can get on the road and make that drive over past Port St. Joe and take the little turn. And, you know, Jennifer's like, we come I'm out of Port St. Joe and I just feel the stress just falling off as you make that little drive. And so I'm in that meeting, they're discussing this passage. Over in the margin of my planner, I wrote the word predestined. And I put a line underneath it and all of a sudden I listed about six or seven things. These are the predestined things that I have to do before I can go to the Cape. And there was a guy there, and he was another Baptist preacher. And I don't know if you know this, but Baptist preachers can be kind of nosy. <laughs> and he looked over, and he was like, oh, predestined. Oh, I get you. You're, you're one of those guys, right? You believe in predestination. And I said, well, absolutely. I believe in predestination because uh, these are the things that have to be done before I can take my family and head off to the Cape. These are predestined things. And so, so listen, listen, I know a lot of times we'll sit there and they'll say, man, I want to know what my destiny is. What is it that God is accomplishing? Really, really, God wants to take us to a certain place. God has a destination for us and his destiny for those that are in Jesus Christ is that we be like Jesus. See, see, God's main goal in saving you is to make you like Jesus, Right now, he's doing it in your character. One day, he'll even do it in your body. We get that wrong. We, if you were to stop and ask most folks, hey, hey tell, me, tell me, why did God save you? Most folks will respond, well, he, he saved me to forgive me my sins. He saved me so I could go to heaven when I die. Now, those are great benefits of salvation. I'll give you that right there. But that's not why he saved you. He saved you to make you like Jesus. That's what he's doing, conforming. That is your destiny as a child of God. He's predetermined. That's where he is taking you. Now, with that being said, if I were to go to your house and ask your family, how much like Jesus are they? How would they respond? You're like, it depends on what day of the week. I get you. I get you. If I were to go to your workplace, the folks that don't know you come down here to Highland Park on Sunday and ask them, how much like Jesus are they? How would they respond? Students, if I were to go to your high school, your middle school, and if I were to ask your fellow students, how much like Jesus are they? How would they respond? See, that's what he is doing. That is the destiny. That's where he is taking us, making us more into the very image of Jesus Christ. Usually the question comes along after that, well, I really don't know what Jesus is like. I mean, I mean, how am I supposed to be like him if I don't know what he is? You know, I would just stop and say this, quit trying to do what you can't do and instead surrender daily to the power of the Holy Spirit in you that is making the change. But we'll sit there and we'll say, well, I can't, I can't be like Jesus. I mean, Jesus walked on water. I can't walk on water. Jesus took uh, a few fish and a few loaves of bread and fed $5,000. I can't, or 5,000 folks. I can't do that. It didn't cost 5000 I don't know what it cost. <laughs> I can't take Dr. Pepper and turn it to wine at a wedding reception. In which I would submit to you, nothing tastes as good as Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Just leave it at that. It'll be better for you. No, we can't do those things. Well, listen, 
Paul doesn't even leave it for us to guess what kind of, uh, what kind of individual or like Jesus, how God is predetermined that he is making us into. Over in the book of Galatians, it gives us the key. Again, it's not about me working so hard to be like Jesus. It's not about me wearing the bracelet. What would Jesus do? Nothing wrong with that bracelet, but here's what I found when I wear that bracelet. What would Jesus do? The next thing I know, I'm like, I gotta push that up so nobody can see I'm wearing that WWJD bracelet. No, it's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Galatians 5.22. Here's what Jesus is like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I had somebody say to me one time, okay, all right, so now God's making us all like Jesus. I mean, if we're all like Jesus, wouldn't that be boring? Are you kidding me? That'd be great. If we were all like Jesus, wouldn't it be great to live in a world where everybody was loving and totally unselfish in their loving? Wouldn't it be great to live in a world where everybody was full of joy? I don't know. I don't, some of you wouldn't like that by the look of your face. I don't know. <laughs> wouldn't it be great to live in a world where everybody was full of peace and everybody was full of uh, kindness and everybody was full of patience? So God is trying to make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Again, that is our destiny. God is already predetermined to those that are saved that he would make us that way. So that is his purpose. He calls us. He changes us. And then we get into the meat. And we see three words in verse 30 that tell us his plan. Here's how he does it. Verse 30. First of all, he calls us. He says in verse 30, those he predestined, he called. Now, you're out in public and somebody comes up and somebody says, hey, John. Hey, Nancy. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're calling you. What is that call what is it looking for? A response. What if Nancy just says, put your head down, don't even act like they're there, just keep on walking. You're like, I just saw Nancy today. I called her name and she just kept on going. Like I, She didn't even see me. What did I do? And I know some of you are like, I can't even sleep last night. I can promise you I'd sleep just fine. <laughs> the, 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 no, no, it's a call. Somebody calls you on your cell phone. They're, they're hoping you'll do what? You'll answer. You'll respond. So it's initiating a response. Can I just say this morning, I'm so glad God still calls people. When I was nine years old, God called me to be saved. When I was 21 years old, God called me to preach. 12 years ago, God called me to be the pastor of this great church. The question is not, is God still calling? I'm saying, no doubt, God's still calling. The question is, are you answering? Mm. Are you listening to his call? Now, with this idea about predestination, again, again, sometimes people think, well, God forces us to do certain things, and God violates our free will, and we don't have a choice in the matter. That's just not the case. That is just not so. I'll give you, I'll give you a, very, a very clear example of that. Let's say that you go out to the airport today and there is a Delta jet there at the airport. And you, 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 you buy a ticket and you, you get on that jet, okay? Now, you have a choice whether you're going to buy the ticket. Let's say that you use your app or let's say that you did it online. Heaven forbid that you called and waited on the phone for 10 hours to buy the ticket. I mean, you, you, whatever the case is, you made the choice to buy that ticket. You made the choice. I'm going out to the airport. You made the choice. I'm putting my mask on right before I walk in. You made the choice. I'm boarding the plane. You made the choice. I'm sitting down. I'm putting my seatbelt on. But guess what? Once you get on that plane, it's already been predetermined where it's going. And if it's Delta, I can tell you where it's going. Atlanta. 
No ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? But let's just say somebody with Delta goes crazy and they're like, let's throw for those people for a loop. Let's schedule a flight to Tampa from Panama City. And you get on the plane and you're there and all of a sudden they're like, we're happy to have you on. It'll be, I don't know, I don't know how long it takes to fly from here to Tampa because I've never done it. <laughs> it's always, we're going to go to Atlanta and anyway. And they say, hey, it's going to take, I don't know, an hour and 45 minutes to fly to Tampa. And yeah, you aviator guys, I have no clue, okay? And you're sitting there and you're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 button, 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 button. I want to get off in Atlanta. Well, sorry, we're not going to Atlanta. We, we already predetermined where this flight's going to go. Now, you had a choice to buy the ticket. You had a choice to get on the plane but it was predetermined the destination. Here's what I believe the scripture is saying. The, the scripture is saying that you still have a choice about following the call of Jesus Christ, that God is not forcing that call on you, that God has not created some for heaven and some for hell. He has not created some for glory and some for damnation, that God is not coercing you, that God loves you and God wants you to love him. He's not forcing you to do anything. Nobody likes to be forced to do anything. Heard a story of a guy who was driving through South Louisiana. And supposedly South Louisiana, the coffee is so thick and bitter and strong that it's hard to drink. I've driven through South Louisiana. I've never stopped to drink the coffee. And this guy was driving and he stopped at this old country gas station and he filled his car up with gas and he had to walk in to pay and there was a guy that was behind the counter and he gave him his money and the guy said, hey, listen, would you like a cup of coffee? Would that fill up today? And the guy's like, no. He looked over and he saw the coffee. He saw you couldn't see through the coffee. He saw something swimming on the top. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, no, that's okay. I don't really want any coffee. And the guy said, oh, please come on. Listen, we never get any visitors here. Would you please have a cup of coffee with me. And he said, no, 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 I got to be on my way. I can't stop and drink the coffee. And the guy behind the counter pulls out a gun <laughs> and points it at him. And he says, no, you're going to drink a cup of coffee. And he pours him that old thick, bitter, dark coffee. And the guy's there and his hand's trembling and he's drinking the cup of coffee. And this entire time, the guy's holding the pistol, pointing it at him. He finishes the coffee. He sets the cup down. The guy behind the counter hands the gun to the guy and says, now you hold it on me while I drink me a cup. Mm. That's some strong coffee, isn't it? And nobody likes to be forced to do anything. Listen to me. This scripture is not saying God forces you. It's God's desire. It's God's want. He sent Jesus for all the world. He's not going to force you to follow him. You have a choice in the matter. But once you have chosen him, here's what the word predestination means. He has predestined you. I'm going to make you like Jesus right now in your character, in your personality. I'm going to make you like Jesus in one day. I'll even take that old broken body and I'll make it just like Jesus's. See, the Christian life is full of calls. And I think the, the calls of the Christian life can kind of be summarized into the three separate calls. The first call is come to me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, here's what Jesus said. In Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We would say that is the call of salvation. And maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not a Christ follower today. Maybe if today were your last day, you don't know that you would be in heaven with him. I'm telling you, today he is calling Today he is saying, come to me. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. I will transform you. 
And there's some that man, he says, I'll give you rest for your soul. Aren't you tired? Don't, don't, don't you want some rest? You're like, I've been trying to fix myself. Yeah, how's that going? Mm. Many of you need to respond to God's call of salvation today. Here's the second call in the Christian life. Follow me. Follow me. Listen to what he said. This is Jesus again. Mark chapter 1 verse 17. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That there are some of you in this room today who would say, yes, I've been a Christian for quite some time, but yet you've never grown. You don't serve him. All you are doing is sitting and soaking and souring. You, 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 you're not a part of a, of, a, of a small group, of a life group. You're not involved in any ministry. You're not involved in any mission. That there are some that are hearing my voice today that you get more excited about, about how, many, how much tuna or how much uh, catfish or how many bass you catch more than you do fishing for the hearts and the souls of men. And he's like, no, follow me. Grow in your faith. Be serious about what I'm, what I'm using you to do. He's calling you to serve. And here's the third call, abide in me. Abide in me. Listen to what he says. This is in John 15, 4. Jesus, still speaking, says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Here's what that means. It means you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That there are some of you in here and you are so actively working. You're working, man. I'm working for the kingdom. I'm working for the church. And you're so busy and you're so involved. And then the next thing you know, one day you're going to say, all right, man, I'm tired of it all. I'm burnt out because you're trying to do it in your own ability. Yet it's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that transforms us, that leads us to be about service and missions and evangelism and all those kinds of things. And so what he is saying is, as you abide in the vine who is Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit is released in your life. He calls us. Which call do you need to listen to today? He calls us. Do you need to be saved? Come to me. Do you need to serve? Follow me. Do you need to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit? Abide in me. Friend, before you decided to follow him, he decided to call you. He decided to predestine you what? He wants to make you into the very image of Jesus. So he calls us. But then secondly, here's the second part of the plan. He claims us. He claims us. Look in verse 30 again. That good old Bible word justified. We've talked about it quite a bit as we've been walking through the book of Romans. He's used it over and over again. Remember I told you the best definition for the word justified is this, just as if I'd never even sinned. The word justification, it is a great legal term. It means to be declared right. It means to be declared innocent. It means to be declared guiltless. That if you are a child of God, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been justified, and that's past tense. You have been declared by God to be right. That justification is the act whereby he, he declares an ungodly person to be perfect while he is still ungodly. The Bible talks about this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Are y'all tracking with me? You okay? All right, we got a little bit of time left. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him. Him is Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what righteousness is. The Bible refers to righteousness as a robe. So I have the robe of righteousness, right? I put it on just like clothes, I normally have the robe of self-righteousness on. Isaiah says the robe of self-righteousness is like dirty, stinking, filthy rags. The Jewish word that he used was skabala. 
I'll not tell you what that word means. I'll tell you this. When I was in seminary and in, uh, you know, in, in, um, my mind just went blank. When I was in seminary and we would go play basketball, uh, all of us guys that were learning Hebrew, when we would miss a shot, we would scream out, Skabala! So you let your imagination go with that. He's like, here we are with our robe, with our coat of self-righteousness, and it's dirty, it's stinking, it's filthy rags. But when you're called and you surrender to become a Christian, you have answered this call to serve him. And then all of a sudden, what does he do? He puts on the coat or the robe of righteousness, of righteousness. He says, you're just as pure and innocent and sinless as my son, Jesus Christ. Can I say that's good news? Do you know why that's good news? Because I'm a sinner. Can I tell you why it's good news for you? You're a worse sinner than I am, some of you. Some of you know. Some of you are lily white. Just crystal clear. Right? We all struggle with that. Isn't that good news right there? That we we are guiltless. Mm, Think about that. Not, 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 not perfect, guiltless. It means there's no guilt, there's no condemnation that is on me because of my sin. Why? Because now I'm wearing the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he calls us, he claims us, and here's the third one. He completes us. He finishes what he starts. He doesn't give up halfway through. I would assume there are some of us he's been tempted to. No, he finishes what he starts. Verse 30, we see the word there. It's the word glorified, glorified. We've not yet been glorified, right? No, this is something that will happen when we die. We go to heaven and and then he comes back and, you know, our bodies are reunited with our souls. Then all of a sudden our bodies themselves will be glorified. It means that we will be like Jesus in body. Now, that may get lost on some of you, but on cold mornings and you get up and your knees hurt and your ankles hurt and you have a hard time moving around, you want to linger in the shower just a little bit longer and let that hot water hit your lower back because it's hurting because you might have slept just an inch different than you did the night before. When you read about getting a glorified body, you get a little excited, don't you? That one day I'm going to drop this old khaki carcass that is failing me and one day or the next time this old soul picks it back up, it's going to be different, unlike anything it has ever been since I've been in it, right? It will no longer be perverted by sin. It will no longer be deteriorating because of the sin effect, but it will be finished, complete, just like Jesus Christ. Give him glory this morning for what he's going to do. Hmm. It's something that happens in the future. It it makes no sense. It's almost like it's incorrect grammar. It says glorified. That's past tense. It's not happened yet. Huh, is the Bible wrong? All right, yeah, y'all know. (laughs) I'm thankful. If somebody yelled out, yes, you got to go through Discover Highland Park again. Um, But stop and think, shouldn't it read, he saved us, he justified us, and he will glorify us. Why why does it say he's already done it? There's a great truth here. God's not bound by time or space like you and I are. Okay? Okay? So, So it's a done deal. It's a finished act. It's as good as happened. He says, he says you, you've been glorified, that that is God's plan, God's plan, that right now for those that have, that have come to Christ, those who have been recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he offers to all, knowing that some will not receive, that he says, now I'm going to make you like Jesus, right now I'm going to do it in character, one day I'll even do it with your body. I'm just saying, guys, God's got a plan 
His plan is greater than anything we could ever imagine. What he is wanting to accomplish in and through us. How he is wanting to transform even us. Not only save us and forgive us of our sin, but transform us to where we are different than we were before Christ. And so that's his plan. That's his plan. Where, where, where are you in all this? Let, let, let me ask you a question. Uh, may, maybe there was a time where you used to be a lot closer to God than you are right now. Uh, may, maybe there was a time when, when you'd say, man, my heart was on fire to serve God, to follow God. But maybe you would say, yeah, I've kind of grown indifferent. I've kind of grown cold. And we, we, we'll even use a Baptist word for it. I backslidden. Kind of wandered off into the wilderness of spiritual apathy. Today, here's what God's saying. Hey, don't forget I got a plan. Get, get, get back in on my, my plan. I'm, I'm, I'm changing you to be like Jesus. Don't fight me here. Don't frustrate my grace. Don't quench my spirit. Don't grieve my spirit. I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to do something with you. I've got a plan for you. What's our part in this whole process? I give up. I, I, I surrender. I, I surrender to your plan, God. Can I just say that's hard? usually what we want to do is we want to say, yeah, yes, I, I trust Jesus to save my soul. I'm even trusting Jesus for the whole body thing. I mean, is it going to be, I have folks say, what kind of body do you think it'll be like? Do you think it'll be like our 18-year-old body? Do you think it, 30, 30, I've read somewhere, but 30 is the height of your physical, uh, you know, it's the peak of your physical body. It would be like when we're 30, and I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, um, hey, I got a question. I, I even asked this question. It was me who asked the question with one of my buddies. Some of you guys know Brad Luter, a friend of my pastors in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I leaned over here, and they were talking about a glorified body at a conference we were at, and I'm like, hey, I got a question. Do you think I'll have hair in heaven? <laughs> and, and you'd have to know Luter. And I can't believe he said something kind. He usually, oh, man, you're crazy. You know. He leaned over, and here's what he said. What if you had it right all along and we'll all be bald? <laughs> I'm like, give me some knuckles, looter. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> don't, 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 no, no, don't get focused on that. That's kind of outside of our sphere. Uh, we, we, we had a former president that said, that's above my pay grade. That, that is, that's above our pay grade. But focus on what he's doing now. Our part, I give up. Yeah, work in me. Change me. Have your way with me. There's a, a true story. There was this old hillbilly preacher from the hills of West Virginia that he applied to be a part of the Biblical Institute of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, Biblical Institute is basically for pastors who, you know, they haven't gone to college, they don't have a, uh, an undergraduate degree or anything like that, but they want to, you know, they, they'd like to continue training. And so he applied, and uh, he was being interviewed by some theological professors, and the professors, they asked him about his salvation experience, and, and this is what he said. He said, well, um, I did my part, and God did his part. And naturally, they didn't like that answer. I wouldn't have liked that answer either, because the reality is we, we don't have any part. It's, it's all God's part. And they said, well, could you clarify what you mean by you did your part and God did his part? And here's what that old hillbilly preacher said. My part was the sin and God's part was the saving. <laughs> and and, and listen, listen to what he said. He said this. He, he said, I had done run from God as fast as my sinful heart and my rebellious legs would take me. And God done took out after me until he done run me down. Mm. Yeah, right. 
Our part's the sinning. His part's the saving. That's a plan of grace right there, isn't it? From a loving God. Friend, listen to me. Some of the greatest theological minds throughout history have not been able to agree on these three verses of Scripture that we've read today. And some of you would say, why'd you preach it the way you did? Well, because my name's on the sign. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Y'all knew that before you walked in here, right? (laughs) But when it affects the way you view the gospel, either side, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. When it changes the way you evangelize, we've got a problem. When it causes you to be self-absorbing, you have a problem. A good friend of mine, he's on this stage a lot. Corey and I were talking about this not long ago, and here's what Corey said. In the end, what does it matter? Jesus saves. And he has chosen to use you and I to get the gospel out. Let us not get so bogged down in philosophy or theology that, hey, If the greatest minds couldn't figure it out, what makes you think you've got a corner market on it? And instead, let us be the heralds who loudly proclaim, he can save you. He can save you. Can I share how he saved me? Madeline Murray O'Hare, that name sounds familiar to some of you guys. Some of you have no idea who that is. She founded the American Atheist Organization. Led the charge in 1966 to have Bible study and prayer removed from the public school. And some of you are like, there used to be Bible study in school? Um, Yeah, I can remember my dad telling stories. Do you know how he learned how to read in school? From the Bible. That's how they taught reading, is reading scripture. 1966, she led the charge, and nine black-robed individuals decided that prayer was, well, it was unconstitutional and it was wrong in the public school setting. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I would submit that 1966 is kind of where you can start to see the spiritual decline of our nation. Madeline Murray O'Hare said she hated God, said there was no God, which I always found that interesting. Um, There's no God and I hate him. Um, (laughs) Come again? Uh, She died in 1995. They auctioned off her estate. And one of the items that was purchased was her own personal journal repeatedly throughout her own personal journal. Now, this lady who seemed as though she had, she had hatred for God did some, well, led the charge for things that we're still paying for today. Here's what she wrote over and over in her journal. Won't somebody somewhere please love me? Over and over again, Won't somebody somewhere please love me? And maybe today you wouldn't say that you're an atheist at all. I mean, but maybe you found yourself asking that question. Won't won't somebody somewhere please love me? Friend, God loves you. So much that he would send his only son, Jesus, 
to pay the price for your sin. He loves you so much that he's not left you here to figure it all out by yourself. Now, kind of like that true story of that hillbilly preacher. I done run from God as fast as my sinful legs would take me. And he done took out after me and run me down. Yeah, that's the love he has for you. I would say the very, the very fact that you're sitting here today and you're hearing me say that he loves you, that's great evidence that he loves you. You may have given up on yourself. Everyone else may have given up on you. God's not given up on you. And today he'll save you. He'll transform you. He'll change you. How about today you surrender to Jesus? Not only does God love you, this church loves you. We'd like to help you in this spiritual pursuit, this journey. I have folks ask me, hey, is this a a seeker-friendly church? Like, I don't know what you mean by that. Do you cater the services for those who don't know Jesus? Yes. Really? You do? How do you do that? We, We preach Jesus. Absolutely, we're going to cater everything around the gospel. So please hear me, friend. We love you, and we want to help you. It's easy to be in this room and look around this room and see folks that appear as though they've got it all together. It's the longest church I've ever served at, 12 years. Before that, five years in Little Rock. 12 years. Most of you. Most of you. I've, I've, well, I've been in your life long enough to give testimony today. Most of the people in this room do not have it all together. There are a lot of broken people in this church. A lot of people in this church that need Jesus. Mm. Yeah, I'd be one of those. We'd love to help you as this transformation takes place. You're loved, and God's got a plan. He wants to make you more like Jesus. Now, how about you just today say this? Raising the white flag. Give up. I surrender to your plan, to your purpose, to your promise. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email info at highlandpark.org if you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.